Hello, and welcome to another episode of This Can't Be Autism. I'm your resident autistic, Doug Zybeck, and uh, this is going to be a difficult episode, probably for me to say, but also for you to hear. Uh, at this point, I normally probably would be expected to say something like trigger warning, um, but I have philosophical qualms with that problem or concept, let alone, I will warn you that I'm going to be talking about suicide. Um, probably more talking about suicide ideation than actual, uh, the act of dying by suicide. Uh, but nonetheless, this can be a rather emotional and raw topic. So I wanted to let people know about that, of what to expect. This is, um, I'm going to be using probably my, uh, wonderful tools of objectivization and intellectualization to try and, um, stand off or apart from the subject a little bit so that I can talk about it in a somewhat objective manner, but there really is no getting away from the fact that it is a highly emotional and a rather painful topic to very many people. And in most cases, I would say a great tragedy that hopefully could have been avoided. Um, when we talk about suicide, it is ending a person choosing to end their own life. For the most part, um, you don't have that out of circumstances like you might see in the movies or in a good novel or something uh, where, um, say, like an ancient Roman uh, ends his life on a point of honor or uh, someone is choosing to sacrifice themselves to save all their family or friends or something and otherwise there's just no other choice involved that the sacrifice must be made and this brave individual opts to sacrifice themselves for a greater good. That makes for a compelling story, a very gripping and emotional one. However, I would say most likely in reality that is almost non-existent to the point of being impossible when it comes down to the circumstances. Most likely, um, an actual suicide and not just um, an inadvertent uh, dying, like say from a drug overdose or something, where you're doing an action to try and avoid some sort of emotional or psychological pain and it just sort of gets away from you and you wind up dying, uh, where this is actually an intentional act uh, with the aim of being dead, um, those are far more likely to happen as opposed to the theatrical versions where somebody's making a heroic gesture. And it's, it's sad. It, I can get into all sorts of different reasons, but to be honest, um, for the most part, it is to avoid a situation. It is to avoid pain. There's a lot of variety. Just in t- t- it, There's almost as many different reasons as there are different people because it's a very individual thing. Uh, and speaking of that, I would bet, or at least what I was told, is that everybody at some point in their life thinks about it. It is more likely to happen in people who are uh, have depression or uh, bipolar depression, 
some sort of, uh, will he still have his mental illness? And it also, I believe, occurs in higher incidences uh, among neurodivergent people, autistic or ADD primarily. And that is particularly disturbing. Well, to me, uh, I also think that it is a bit of a muddied picture because uh, those um, aspects of a person, autism and ADD, uh, ADHD, you know, hyperactivity, uh, often occur at the same time with other things of, say, um, bipolar mood disorders. Depression is often found in neurodiverse people at the same time. Uh, Many people are misdiagnosed, especially women, who for the longest time were not thought to be even able to be autistic, were often just labeled um, uh, uh, borderline personality disorder, which was basically they just are disagreeable people. Um, And that sort of stigma and pressure especially of misdiagnosis, prevents people from finding the outlets or help that they need to alleviate whatever pressures and pains they feel that are motivating suicide. Uh, I know a lot of people think that if you speak about it, or if you're trying to say, I want help, the reaction is, oh, they just want attention. And... Yes. Yes, they do. There's nothing wrong with that. People need help. And people want attention. If you are drowning or something, you tend to make scream and make a lot of noise and you're flailing your arms. Because you want help. You want the attention into somebody to come and get you. So it is absolutely ridiculous to say somebody uh, who might even be perceived as joking about suicidality or suicidal ideation as it's called, you know, taunting to commit suicide as, oh, they just want attention. Well, yes, they do. Nobody ever bothers to then ask, well, why would they want the attention? Are they feeling completely disconnected from everyone and everything that they are so alone and yet are seeing a world of people and things that somehow they can't connect to, that they can't touch, that they're living in a terrarium, a glass bubble, and everything that they could ever want, desire, or even hope to experience is on the other side of that glass. And they somehow feel that they can't reach? Yeah, they're going to be pounding on that bubble looking for attention. And that's how it works. So it is really... I hate to say the word ableist, to dismiss people with that sort of thing of they just want attention. Now, I can only speak from my own personal experiences. It is not really common, in my experience again, to talk, to listen to people about suicide or, the, or their attempts or their wanting to. It, because you are dealing with life and death, I think whenever somebody starts speaking about it, it's like, I don't think I can deal with this anymore. There is a real change in intention and listening from the other person that they would treat the subject in 
with kid gloves, with really delicacy, that they want to help, but you have no idea why. And that there's also uh, a feeling like somehow this is contagious. It's like, what if, you know, somehow I'm now getting depressed or I'm going to want to die? Or what if it starts making me look at my life and events and circumstances and really question all that I need to know? Yes, that could happen. Um, I do think it's strange that we don't treat people as quote-unquote normal or as we otherwise would um, when they start thinking, expressing the fact that they're in such pain that they think about ending it or ending it all. Because oddly enough, I think that's desperately what they need is to just be accepted and treated uh, with a bit of kindness, to be recognized, to be acknowledged that they live and have some sort of worth for the simple fact that they're alive. And that is really difficult to do because we do tend to, especially in American society, downplay things. If you are not towards the pinnacle of wealth or beauty or talent, you're ignored. You're not deemed as as good as other people or and that's in everything is a competition you have to have more you have to have better you have to be better and that real pressure especially takes its toll on young people who may not have uh, everything figured out yet or really grown into their own yet uh, again, I t- I'm just thinking again how this is really difficult and it's really hard for me to stay on topic um, and to talk about all the different aspects that I wanted to or would think about because I have been thinking about this a lot. I will admit it does occur to me the thoughts I'll, uh, often. I find it difficult to believe, but I assume it's true that most people don't think about their own demise or they're not being around about how would what would the world be like without them in it how would even the the lives of the people they know and love go on if they were dead i don't believe many people actually think about this i find myself when i'm thinking about things or just going off on into various thought patterns yes I do think about this, and unlike the emotional pain, or actually probably isn't motivated by emotional pain on some level, um, I do think, is this an actual option? We should say, no, it's not. We should make sure that people don't think of this as a viable option to any of life's problems unfortunately in a philosophical sense I'll keep it at that level it is there's existentialism like Jean-Paul Sartre there's always an option you are always making a choice even if you think there's absolutely no other choice to be made there is always a choice and in, in it's usually the French or something with the French philosophers uh, usually have um something like the call of the void where people are 
if you come up near a cliff or the edge, if you're looking out on a roof deck at a building, you tend to stay away from the edges. Not because you fear you accidentally falling over, and not even so much the fear like, oh, well, maybe somebody will push me by accident or not. But you get the idea that I might just walk off the edge. There is that possibility for no other reason than I just might. And that possibility scares people. And that usually keeps them in line and makes them cherish life. Uh, That, I don't remember the French phrase for it, but it is the call of the void. And there also is... um, It's not exactly what Sartre wrote when in Nausea, uh, where the characters just learn about the absurdity of life and no meaning to it and they ask themselves the questions or I'm also conflating this with uh, uh, Camus the myth of Sisyphus of why bother going on there is not a meaning and it takes such effort to create a meaning for your own life that why bother doing it and I don't get into all the reasons why um, Camus actually explains why you shouldn't, why you should keep enduring uh, as where he gets the uh, the name from his book, uh, the King Sisyphus was condemned by the gods in the afterlife to roll a large boulder up the steep hill and just before he reaches the top, when he could finally say he's done it and put his labors to an end, it slips and rolls back down the hill to the very bottom and he has to go down there and start it all over again and he has to constantly do this for eternity so what's the point and um, the, I want to say the, the simple solution is that's the easy way out that is what uh, other people say is like that's the coward's way out a lot of us are cowards <laughs> we do tend to shy from fights because we've been fighting things for so long, just a different sort of enemy. And then at some point, you don't want to say, I'm beaten, I lost, that's it. But while you're still alive, the counter argument goes like, you're not beaten, you can still go on, you can still make that choice. And circumstances might be very dire, but you should be able to hopefully see some sort of alternative to the ultimate one of just ending your life. Um, I don't know if everybody comes to that point at some point in their life. I don't know how many people actually think about death, dying, or suffering, or the pain of others. I do a lot. I think that that could be part of autistic empathy. I think that's a lot also about my experiences of reading too much um, ancient history or too much philosophy, especially existentialism as a child, that it sort of rubbed off on you that this is how you look at things, is trying to find meaning in everything and what's the point. But I've also noticed, and I've seen it from people that I've... um, been fortunate enough to meet and I'm going to be very loose in how I say that because I don't actually have um, 
people in my life or very many what I would consider friends as in somebody you can actually hang out and be in their physical presence they accept you you can say and talk freely and they would still understand where you're coming from accept what you're saying and engage in the conversation probably in the spirit in which you meant it I think most people do have that um me as an autistic person and I'm going to be blaming this and not just me because otherwise that just makes me weird and an asshole uh, I can't do that I often find that friendships tend to be somewhat superficial they tend to be functional as in they're aiming at a purpose they are meant to achieve a goal and that they somewhat quickly taper out after that goal may or may not have been met um, there's very little actual emotional support and I get the impression that the people get tedious of it after a while. There isn't any reciprocity to this. Um, and it is that sort of lack of connection that I think makes a lot of autistic people and again, I'm generalizing, going from my experience, this is pure extrapolation, so please feel free to comment, come at me with your own thoughts of this, is I think that it is the lack of connection and social stigma around both mental health and autism that inflicts such pain on people that they no longer see any other option. That, you, that we are living in a world apart from it we're not of the world we're barely in it and we see so many people and we see the connections and friendships and just meaningful interactions that we not only don't really seem to get but we don't understand on a level that we can replicate in other people we have a tentative grasp of what they are. It's like we know what we want. We have an idea, but we can't quite get it and don't know how to get there. And that creates profound emotional and psychological pain that abates for a time, but in the end, but in many people never ends. It's a constant state. And that sort of stress, that sort of strain really weighs on people it can drain your resources it can without getting too spiritual about it it can just waste your soul away until there's not much left and that's where a lot of pain comes from and depression and so for many when you get to that extreme suicide looks to be a better option than trying one more time. I don't think it is. But many people will get to the point, unfortunately, where they say, yes, it is. I don't think that we should get to the point where um, you treat somebody differently. You can... You, it's happened to many of us where you get in college and you think, oh, somebody you know, had a bad breakup, a really bad loss of their first real adult love, uh, just, you know, got dumped really bad. And so they, they try to say, open a vein, you know, slit their wrists. 
for the next like semester, months or whatever, everybody's, are you okay? How are you? You feeling better? They they talk to them like they're... People tend to talk to little puppies and kittens with more sincere compassion than they would somebody who they know who happened to have tried to commit suicide. And that is sad. You make it worse. You're pointing it out and it's like, oh, don't say anything sad around this person. Don't... And I think it's sad that we can't accept in a person having tried. Just like we can't accept a person as being in pain or different from us. A lot of that um, will come back to autism and mental illnesses. There's a big stigma. There's even large stigmas against being physically different. Um, and then, of course, there's different levels of this. As an aside, I've noted that for many people, or especially adults, it's okay to use crutches. I'll see somebody who came in who like might walk in a room and they're on crutches or something. Even if they don't have, like, say, a cast or something on a leg or whatever, they're just on crutches. You're, you accept that more readily even though there's some sort of physical anomaly, some physical defect to them, you think, oh, you know, maybe they just, you know, twisted their ankle playing soccer or uh, they almost broke their leg skiing or something like that. As opposed to somebody who's using a cane. If you see somebody, not particularly elderly or something, comes walking in using a cane, I believe a lot of people make an unconscious judgment about them. It's like, ah, they're looking for attention. Uh, they're just lazy or something. This, or what could be wrong with them? Or this is an affectation or something. Because the crutches, as we have them in at least America or our society, we use them. It implies an almost physical fitness and vigor that um, we damaged. We were exercising our vitality and took it a little bit too far. And so now we're recovering a little bit. But it's still a sign that we're just, you know, really alive and vital and active. Whereas a cane implies more something more permanent, that we're defective, that we're deficient that where more of our vitality, our energy is spent, it is gone, it's behind us. And so that's part of the stigmas that we have, I think. And I think that goes when you learn that somebody may have tried to commit suicide or has mental illness, that there's something less of them, that there's something less human about them, that they have whatever it is that makes a person a person Something about that is expended, <laughs> or they never had it. We should pity them. We can help them, and this takes care of our sort of moral or spiritual obligation to be nice to somebody else. Uh, it's almost like paying your taxes in a emotional or spiritual sense, that you'd be nice to somebody who's hurting like that, rather than out of actual compassion. And... 
again, as I told you, this is how uh, difficult it is to talk about the subject of suicide because I'm not even really talking about suicide anymore. I'm talking about how we treat people with mental illness and stigmas and um, all sorts of other stuff, but I'm not actually talking about wanting to end your own life. And it's difficult. It is very difficult thing to do um, because, like I said, I... I'm not sure that everybody actually thinks about that and contemplates what it what that actually means and that there is a dread fear of it. It is, in some ways, even a f- more intense fear of just death because it's you causing it. It's like deliberately making yourself sick or deliberately making yourself poor. There's a lot we can't understand about those things, but to deliberately end your own life is such an extreme of that that it is incomprehensible to most people. And I just think we should be able as a society to make things better for someone so that they don't have to go to that extreme. Part of which controversially would be to try and understand why someone would do that such that it is less stigmatized. I mean, other societies, you want to think stereotypical Romans again, um, they would they were more used to death being around them in illness. They tried to normalize it by having even more death around them. As long as it wasn't them personally suffering, they were fine with it. That's why they had things like the mass animal executions and games and gladiatorial combat. And they had a lot of combat and war. They were using it to get inured to the fact that there's death and suffering around them. Uh, If you really want to, this is a bit beyond my areas of special interest, but it is close to one. Um, Say like ancient Japan, uh, not even so ancient Japan, where a person would commit suicide because they believe they've been disgraced. Uh, It still happens where if somebody, it's been known to happen, like executives get fired from a job or they lose a job from downside, somebody will kill themselves. They has been known to happen that they would go home and execute their family first because they wouldn't want their family to live with the pain of knowing this person had to go and commit suicide. Um, I don't think those situations in modern times or in modern United States, American culture, are prevalent. We don't have that understanding despite how we may view on them or view as pity or something. Um, people can understand their reasoning for it, why they do that. They can emotionally walk through the process. may never accept it, but they can still get a grasp on it. I don't think Americans, especially... Uh, younger generations and things can ever get a grasp on why somebody would want to commit suicide let alone how they could bring themselves to do it I don't think I could it's it's very difficult decision for me uh, because uh, for a variety of reasons but anyway uh, there's 
I think we should talk about it more to explore those things is and not just in the aspect of like Edith Kubler-Ross of you know the process of surviving uh somebody else's dying and the processes of grief etc I think if we understand um suicide and what drives it to we can try to internalize in each person make it so that we have that empathy that compassion where we're not contributing to their problem because I think a lot of it and I'll go back to it is socialization the community we are a communal animal human beings we need interaction even the most introverted of us needs some sort of interaction at some um, at some point it might not be that often might not be that intense but we do need it there it is exceptional that the, a person would not need any human contact for vast extended periods of time i sincerely believe that I believe the majority of people need human interaction. I believe that autistic people um need it differently uh because we can't interact in a in the manner that society demands us and so we are tend to be shunned away. Um we we do interact very well often with each other. We can form our own communities and and fulfill those needs. um it is the interaction where we can often ignore other people it's like if you live in a large city new york miami la boston seattle or something um you commute to work you live downtown it's like how many homeless people do you just walk past because you think wow they're just going to if i give them any money they just this more and more they're just going to ask for more there <laughs> other people are going to ask for money too i just won't have any or oh, they're just going to go drink it away or something like that we are good at not only neurotypicals are good at not only making the connections but cutting off those elements of humanity that they somehow intuitively come to the conclusion as a threat to them as a collective almost um this is why we have the stigmas i believe they cut off autistic people from societies cuz we can't understand and it takes their extra effort and compassion to communicate with us or understand our communication there's been lots of times i'm talking with people i might consider close to and all of a sudden they'll say the same thing. Oh yeah, but here it is. It's like that's just what I said. No, you didn't. Yeah, I did. And even though I know the words I said, I understand what I said. I know my intentions and my thoughts of what I hoped to convey. There was still a vast difference between us two people. And that is painful. When you can sit in a room and feel like you're in different countries that is very painful and if you have to live that 24/7 day after day you start to believe 
Why am I even in this world? What is a purpose of this for a world that does not appear to want me a part of it? The best answer then might be to make the world happy, I'll just go away. And that's where you start getting suicidal ideation. Is that the case for everything? Absolutely not. Is that the case for most people? Probably not. Is that a reasonable, not explanation, but at least retelling of how emotional trauma can happen in a person? Maybe. But I think it is that we don't, that we are far less collective than we need to be. And we've never struck the balance between collective concern, individual liberties, and what we see, especially from the 60s and that hippie generation, of basically wanting to control. We tend to think of being together and looking out for each other um, as groups, communes even, as control. You people need people want to be a part of associations that's why they join cults um and to some degree people actually want to be able to feel the order uh so they like to be told what to do sometimes um but other people think is they twist the idea of empathy and compassion into i'm telling you what to do because unconsciously they would think I'm better than you. I sense somehow there is a weakness or deficit in you. So I'm stepping up, saving you, telling you what to do, and you're ungratefully not listening to me. So there's a lot going on here. There's a lot to talk about or even think about when you go into suicide. And again, see, look, I've gotten off topic again of the exact pain of why somebody would think about ending their own life or how we view it even in society. I would like to think of it as as a more neutral um, aspect than we do. It is very pejorative. A lot of that comes from... um, the so-called Judeo-Christian background to Western cultures in which suicide is viewed as murder, murder of the self. And it is such that even in a lot of uh, canon laws and stuff, it is basically the one crime that cannot be forgiven, ironically, by God, supposedly, uh, because you, as the criminal, are no longer available alive to ask for forgiveness. You're murdering somebody, and you can't ask the victim of your murderous intent for forgiveness. Which makes sense, because you were both the victim and the criminal. Um... So that is why suicide is often posited in, like, church thinking as absolutely unforgivable I don't know about that but I don't want to diverge into various uh, critique of sort of Christian thinking um, as well as you know God and sin and things like that because that would get into a really long train wreck of a discussion I just think how we view suicide and the stigmas of it and just the it's it's worse than the plague literally a lot of people would uh throughout history have seen that uh is because of that 
in part. It's also, a lot of it is, we, people don't think that way. So, this will be a briefer episode. Because it's such a touchy topic. But I thought I should bring it up because I have encountered more than one person recently who did have, or at least would purport, I will say they did have, because I'd like to take people at face value in this, at most things, especially this, as suicidal ideation of being in pain. And it made me think of when I would try to tell them, is my previous career as a therapist bringing up all those tools of try to have them not do such a thing uh, it made me it brings up thoughts of me it's like well why why don't I you know I'm especially recently in a lot of you know pain depressive episodes things like that why wouldn't I and so as you talk to somebody else and trying to convince them you also convince yourself not to and that is a good act of compassion to try and help other people and especially if it helps yourself because you, then you don't have to seek any other reward out of it and try to cheapen that act and it can be more or less as try to get it as a decent act of actual compassion as you can get because I always said it's like if you're trying to do good expecting something in return you're not doing good you're doing business um, but it, I think it's important to have these talks and to think about the subject um, quite often well not quite often but because so many people do suffer through the type of mental illness and we should not stigmatize them in such a way that they are excluded from society even more than they already feel which ultimately exacerbates the problem so um, so for those people who I hopefully have been connecting to I hope that they have endured I hope that their pain uh, or whatever they're going through actually um, is becoming resolved so that they can continue so that the positive aspects of what they may offer the world will outweigh the costs and pain of how the universe of themselves and their own minds are treating them so in the end maybe we can just be nicer to each other a little more compassionate in uh, understanding empathetic of other people's points of view uh, rather than so just angry and dogmatic about our views so here it happens again veering off the subject it's a suicidality and suicide just is a, is a target that does not want to be hit <laughs> and so I will consider this less than one of my more successful episodes simply because of the topic and I wouldn't even know who to have interviewed on this. I mean, maybe a Dr. Phil or a, or a psychiatrist or somebody who has gone through it. But even then, I don't know how successful it would be as a conversation. Um, but I do know and would like to say, probably finishing up, that to fellow neurodivergent or autistic people, if that lack of connection of society 
or individuals, of persons, of being unable to communicate or feeling like you're speaking such a weird language just amongst peers that they can't really understand you. Um, Hang on there. There are probably other options and you don't have to seriously consider suicidality that there may be other options because I am almost willing to bet invariably that there are gifts and talents that the world needs and wants from you and we should share other than that I hope people stop treating it as if someone in their essence is permanently damaged or defective or just less than human because all you're doing through those judgments you think you're saving yourself and you're viewing yourself better and that puts a layer of protection around you and the idea of death especially suicide that part is a delusion (laughs) and you're actually just inflicting that weight and hurt onto somebody else who no longer really has the capacity to deal with it temporarily so anyway I will find other topics to speak about Um, thank you for listening to this what tried to be a helpful rant Uh, I'm again not sure how successful this was but as a philosophical topic or even as just an emotional outreach um, I think was worth it So thank you for your continued listening. Thank you for your support. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Uh, Feel free to email me at thiscan'tbeautism at gmail.com. Feel free to rate this podcast or this episode. I'd love to actually get more ratings, uh, both on Spotify and Apple Podcasts or wherever you're getting this. And I'll just say this has been or still is, Doug Seibeck, your resident autistic at This Can't Be Autism. Thank you for your support. Thank you for listening. And I will look forward to talking with you again.